everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I hope you're all enjoying your holiday season. As 2020 is coming to a close, this will mark the end of the second year of the Kerr Reviews podcast. Though for millions of people all over the world, 2020 has been such an unpredictable year. In the beginning, things were looking pretty good. But then, as we were almost about midway through March... That was when this global pandemic started, as the coronavirus was catching on everywhere. Since then, public gatherings have become restricted, major events got cancelled, or in some cases postponed, businesses were forced to close up shop, and millions have lost their lives to COVID-19. But as suggested in Monty Python, we must always look on the bright side of life. So today... I thought it would be fun to take a look back at what my year has been like with the Care Reviews podcast. For one, I was lucky enough to have gotten such a wide variety of guests on this show. There were not only people I pursued for interviews and succeeded in booking myself, but I also received several offers from representatives about getting to speak with their clients. I'd like to take this moment to highlight some of the guests I was able to have on the Care Reviews podcast this past year. The first interview I conducted in 2020 was with actor James Earl Jones II, who at the time was in the national tour of the 2017 Tony-winning musical Come From Away. As that show was making its way to my area back in January, I got to speak with him beforehand about a number of things, including his distant cousin, legendary actor James Earl Jones. And as I previously mentioned, you happen to be a distant cousin of the great James Earl Jones. Yes, we've met. He's done a couple of productions in Chicago back when I was much younger. He did uh, Othello and Fences. He would give tickets to my dad to come to see the show and then to talk to him afterwards. And, and at that point, I wasn't into acting. I, you know, I just was coming to see plays that James happened to be in. You know, and I had questions for him, but my questions weren't of a theatrical nature because I didn't really understand that. At that age, my only questions were, how do you change clothes so quickly? <laughs> and he said, well, I have dressers. And I said, oh, so these dressers see you in your underwear? And he said, sometimes. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yet, here I am. I'm doing a show where I make quick changes all the time. One very exciting interview I was offered shortly thereafter was with three individuals who were each involved with a great cause. It was a brand new original song titled Hands Around the World, which was part of a year-long fundraising campaign and initiative to raise money to fight climate change. The people I got to speak with were immersive entertainment entrepreneur Neil Morgan, visionary humanitarian Ken Cragen, who is known for being the producer leader of We Are the World and Hands Across America campaigns, and songwriter A.R. Rahman, the third of whom won two Oscars for his work on Danny Boyle's 2008 award-winning drama Slumdog Millionaire. When that interview was conducted, we were just days away from last year's Academy Awards, so I knew I had to ask A.R. about his memories from the night he ended up winning some gold himself. At the time of this recording, the Academy Awards are coming up on February 9th. You are a five-time nominee and two-time winner. You've won both of your Oscars for your musical score and song Jai Ho for the 2008 Best Picture winner, Slumdog Millionaire. What do you remember about the night of the ceremony back in 2009 from not only your wins, but also the film itself winning Best Picture? It does seem so, so 
real and um, like a dream because back from working from India, you know, realize uh, this part of the world, and when I came here for the promotion, is when I realized like how art unifies, and that's uh, the one big thing I learned that your mind should never limit what you're capable of or what people can do. And that's one thing I keep telling my kids too. Like, never limit yourself in your mind and limit other people thinking that they only possible, they only can do certain things. But on the day of the Oscars, it's still an epic thing. Still, in India celebrates. And when I go all over the world, it's definitely the biggest moment of my life. Not only because it's an Indian movie and, and, and I'm an Indian composer, it's a film of hope. It's... Danny Boyle's baby, and I would say I, I still am very grateful to him to have had this vision and the whole team of Sundar Millionaire for bringing such a masterpiece to the world. And today actually marks the beginning for final voting. As an Academy member, what usually goes through your mind while you're making your votes for nominations as well as the winners? For me, you know, like, there's so many movies which come, you have to see all the stuff, and then but certain things... For me, it's about emotion. What actually is pushing all of us forward and what, what actually educates us to become better human beings or to be more aware of uh, how our life is uh, planned. So, of course, I have my favorites this year. Looking forward to voting to those. And how often do your personal choices end up getting nominated and or winning? I think a couple of years back, almost 99% of my <laughs> what I voted came in. And so I was very thrilled. And uh, last year I was there and I was sitting with my friend Thomas Catalini, a composer from Finland, as my plus one guest. We were just trying to predict watching the nominees and again we were like 80, 80 percent, right? And most of the stuff. Because some of the work when you are in the industry, you, you can guess. It's about newness and it's about a fresh approach. If anybody takes a new direction, which it's charming, definitely we will go for that. In the first week of March, I was able to conduct interviews two days in a row. On March 6th, I got to speak with Robert Hartwell, who at the time was directing and choreographing a production of the 2010 Tony-winning musical Memphis at North Carolina Theatre. Unfortunately, that production later ended up getting cancelled due to this pandemic. Though one of my favorite questions I got to ask Robert about was that since he made his Broadway debut as a performer in that same musical, he got to be a part of a professional taping of the New York production for public release that happened long before that trend became even more popular with stuff like Newsies and Hamilton. Though please excuse some of the breathing from me that was going on during the interview. You did get to be a part of the taping of the musical for movie theaters, which has since gone on to be released on DVD, Blu-ray, and is currently streaming on Broadway HD. So what was it like getting to film the show? It was actually one of the most frightening experiences of my life. (laughs) Because I had only been in the show for a few weeks when the cameras showed up. It was my Broadway debut, and the day after my Broadway debut, the producers came into the theater and said, hey, we have this incredible opportunity to film the show, and everyone in the show at that point had been doing it for a year, you know, and I had just been doing it at that point for one night. It was also my first time that I 
had a solo in a show that was on Broadway, you know, so it was definitely, it felt a lot of pressure of like, oh my gosh, I've got to get up to the level of these people, but I've got about a week or two to do it. So it felt very scary when it happened, but looking back on it, I'm so happy that it did happen because it's so rare that you get the opportunity to have recordings of your Broadway shows to, you know, be able to show your students or show your family. You know, when the filming was happening though it actually was incredibly fun there was such a buzz in the theater because everyone was just so excited at the thought that hey this is going to be preserved forever but it was initial shock at first well yeah and of course filming broadway shows professionally have become more i guess prominent in recent years and so what was your solo part i was wailing joe ah so i popped out of the floor every single night and screamed really high notes. Um, so I'm the guy that comes out of the floor in the Collins department store on the DVD. And I remember the dance captain, Jermaine Rumbert, said to me on my Broadway debut, right before the show started, he came and he held me by the shoulders and he said, tonight before you pop out of the floor, it's like a trap door. He was like, just take a moment and tell yourself that you made it that you're here, that you get to do this moment, you know, and that really stuck with me for forever because I really did, you know, in the two years that I was with the show, I always said to myself, when on earth am I ever going to get the opportunity to make a trapdoor entrance every night on Broadway, screaming the highest note in my range? It felt like a huge, a huge gift in that way. On March 7th, I got to speak with legendary six-time Tony Award-winning costume designer for the Broadway stage, William Ivy Long, who also just so happens to be a native of North Carolina. At the time, he was set to do a talk at UNC Chapel Hill on April 13th, which also ended up getting canceled because of the pandemic. However, that still did not take away my experience of getting to interview him. In fact, what you're about to hear is one of my favorite parts of our conversation together, where I brought up a certain project of his that led to a whole new question I came up with on the spot. And I should also point out that when the North Carolina Museum of History had their movie exhibits, they had one of the costumes he designed for Will Ferrell for the 2005 film adaptation of The Producers on display. Will Ferrell, another North Carolina native. Oh, I didn't know that. His people are from Roanoke Rapids and Weldon. Absolutely. We have cousins in common. His cousin married my cousin. Yeah, so I guess what was it like getting to work with him on that movie? Oh, he's great. In fact, when I walked into the first fitting... He said, my daddy says we're cousins. I mean, like that. That's how charming he is. I didn't know at the time, so we had to go ask his daddy because I wasn't sure. In, indeed, his father's first cousin married like my second cousin, and we have those cousins, their children in common. So, And, you know, in North Carolina, that's important. So uh, that was a fun little opening. But Will is so professional. Well, of course, you know, he's a major funny man in America. And the comedians, you know, are the smartest people because the basis of comedy is truth. And finding that truth in order to turn it into something else. There you go. That's the assignment. <laughs> so he's brilliant, actually. Brilliant. Since this pandemic began, I joined a Facebook group titled Broadway by Broadway, where performers, producers, enthusiasts, and fans discuss musical theater history and Broadway nostalgia. 
Back in April, I posted a lengthy obituary about the passing of Peter H. Hunt, who in 1969 became the youngest person to have ever won the Tony Award for Best Direction of a Musical at age 30. He helmed the original Broadway production of 1776, as well as its subsequent 1972 Academy Award-nominated film adaptation. The first comment I received on that post was from a man named Ron Fassler, who told me that all of my information was spot on. He had interviewed Peter for a book he had written titled "Up in the Cheap Seats: A Historical Memoir of Broadway," which chronicled Ron's teenage years of going to the theater, and had even written an entire chapter about 1776. When I was preparing the next edition of my News of the Month series at the time. Not only was I definitely going to include Peter Hunt's passing in the in memoriam section, but I also invited Ron Fassler to come on the show to pay tribute to him. Our conversation together lasted about one hour, with the second half dedicated to Peter, which ended up becoming its own episode entirely. The first half pretty much went by like a regular episode of News of the Month. The only difference was that I had a guest joining me. One of the first things Ron and I talked about was how the state of Broadway was looking at the time, as the shutdown had just begun, as well as speculate what it could potentially look like when it eventually reopens. So last month I talked about how Broadway shut down due to COVID nineteen, and at that time they scheduled it only for a few weeks, but now it's extended through June seventh. Going to be longer. Well, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, but hey, I guess we shall get a better idea as we head into May. Yeah, it, it's going to be a tremendous challenge, and I'm sure that you've been reading about various scenarios that could play themselves out. I think that the one positive change that we'll get, and I, I think this is going to happen right here in New York, I think that Broadway ticket prices are going to have to come down. I think we can say goodbye. To the four hundred dollar, you know, VIP seating. Really, don't think that anybody's going to want to pay that kind of money、uh, in our new economy when when things start to settle and get back. And I think there may have to be some concessions from unions. I think we're going to have to figure out a way to produce things cheaper so that we can charge cheaper ticket prices. And I think all of that is a good thing. I think you know the runaway costs have been prohibitive. It's changed the theater. Not for the better, you know. I'm I've been a Broadway theater goer for over 50 years. I started going regularly when I was 12 years old, so I've seen the changes. And the biggest one, of course, is that Broadway is now a tourist economy. It didn't used to be that way. The percentage of tourists that go to the theater over regular New Yorkers, tri-state area people from Connecticut, New Jersey, it's completely upended. It's upside down. And so the Broadway theater and its producers have to market to the tourist trade, and that's why you see so many big, expensive musicals and much fewer plays that come to Broadway that are original. You want original plays that are really of the moment and striking and tantalizing and feed your brain. You go off Broadway. Then, of course, <laughs> those shows are super successful. They end up moving to Broadway. If you look at the Tony Award nominees in any given year, four or five of the nominees started、uh, off Broadway or at a regional theater. 
very few original plays just come together and are done on Broadway. Uh, it happens rarely. Uh, Gary with Nathan Lane was a, an example of a play that just was an original play, uh, a tough sell, but the producer, Scott Rudin, decided he wanted a big star and got Nathan and decided that it could be done on Broadway. And it was a grand experiment. It wasn't successful financially. I'm glad it was there. And I hope producers will take more uh, brave and bolder choices. Again, they may be able to if the economics are more in their favor. So that's something I'm looking forward to. Whether or not it pans out, who knows? I mean, perhaps everybody's just want to go back to business as usual. I don't really know how, because if the tourist industry is the major source of the gross revenue and the tourist industry is not what it was, what's going to happen? New York City has been the epicenter in the United States of this virus. How many tourists are going to want to say, that's my number one destination? Let's see. I mean, we're, we're just not going to know. I agree. May Again, something only time will tell. That's right. So we'll have to adjust. Uh, the idea of opening theaters and only selling every other seat, I mean, I, 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 that's, I don't think that's going to fly. I, I really don't. I don't know how that works. Well, yeah, even picturing it just looks weird. Yes, and I, I think they'll lose too much money. You, you know, you cannot play Lion King to 600 people instead of 1,200, you know? It's going to be interesting. Also, you know, what shows come back? I think that's going to be uh, front-page news when it does happen. I think a lot of Broadway shows may just call it a day. I've lived through two or three various strikes that happened in the theater over the past half century. There was one in particular back in the 60s that when we came back after the strike, it was a musician strike, I believe. About four Broadway shows or five Broadway shows closed, just just ended their runs, just, you know, couldn't sustain it in the weeks they were gone and decided to just call it a day. That will happen. It's already happened, even though only two shows have said they're not coming back. Back in June, one of the local community theaters in my area, Raleigh Little Theater, welcomed a brand new executive director named Heather J. Strickland. Shortly before she began her tenure, I got to speak with her about a number of things, which included how she was doing at that time during the pandemic, as well as what she can see happening as soon as it's over. So to start things off, how have you been doing during this time of quarantine due to the coronavirus? good to see here. Right now is how do we ensure 
that we're putting the safety of our cast and our crew and our audience members at the priority and ensuring that we can create uh, a space where, you know, all health and safety guidelines are in place, that people feel comfortable coming into um, and feel comfortable with the measures that we have put in place so that they can be a, a part of some sort of theatrical experience. So, you know, it's thinking through those things. It's thinking through what is possible uh, when it comes to creating theater within these guidelines. But we're also thinking about how do we stay connected to our community? You know, mm-hmm. certainly at many of the theaters uh, in the Triangle, and I absolutely know this is true for, for Raleigh Little Theater, staying connected to our community is just as important to us as creating great theater and great education programs. You know, we are for and about the community, and so we've got to be a little bit more creative and think a little bit differently about what it means to be connected to our community. And so all of those things are the things that we're, we're thinking through about what is possible when we do open our doors back up. In August, I got in touch with the producing artistic director of Playmakers Repertory Company in Chapel Hill, Vivian Benish. When this pandemic began back in March, she was working with actress Deborah Messing on a brand new play in New York titled Birthday Candles. I, of course, had to ask Vivian about that, as well as the changes to what would have been the company's 2020-21 season and plans for when they eventually reopened to the public. How have you been doing during this time of quarantine due to the coronavirus pandemic? I understand that you were in the middle of rehearsals for your Broadway directorial debut when the shutdown began. That's right. We were just in the second week of rehearsal, and uh, that came to a close. So it was a very, like it was for everyone, a, a very trying time not knowing what was happening. Things uh, on Broadway happened very quickly. The shutdown happened, but we thought because we were just in rehearsal, we thought we were going to be that lucky little show that could keep rehearsing and stay in our safe bubble and everything would be, you know, resolved in two weeks, three weeks, something like that, which of course very soon became clear was not the case. But I stayed in New York and then was dealing with everything closing down here in Chapel Hill and Playmakers Repertory Company at the same time, but on a very different schedule. So I was handling it on two different fronts. And luckily, Roundabout Theater Company has rescheduled the play Birthday Candles for the fall of next year. So fingers crossed there'll be a vaccine by then. Thank you. Indeed. I think we all hope so. And it's such a really beautiful play of Noah Heidel's that I think it's going to be a sort of breath of fresh air for everyone to come and share that particular story. So I look forward to that. For the previously announced productions that won't be taking place this season, can you see any of them eventually getting produced in a future season? I do, absolutely. Not all of them, but some of them. There are some that we are you know, very, very committed to, to coming back to. Again, there are so many different factors that are going into our conversations as we start to think of our future and immediately about next season. Through this entire time, I have tried to take an attitude of responsible optimism. That's sort of where I feel I lie. I'm the responsible optimist in the group here and sort of with the real hope that we can be live again this time next year. But We also know that that isn't a guarantee, so we're thinking through all the options again and really believing that playmakers 
has a role to play in the community for another 50 years. So we need to be resilient through that right now. So yes, like Akilah and the Bee, Cheryl West's uh, adaptation of Akilah and the Bee was going to be one of the first titles that was specifically trying to sort of tap into more of a TYA audience here in the triangle. I was so sad to have to give that up. And so I know that's one of the titles that I want to make sure we get back to there next season. Lauren Yee's fabulous new play, Mother Russia, I hope we get a chance to do. And again, depending on how everything works there, Playmakers is very particular uh, in a wonderful way because we have a resident company. We are one of the only resident companies left in the country and so we need to program and part of that company rotates because part of that is made up of our graduate students in the professional actor training program so they rotate so really we have to create a season that really takes into consideration the resident acting company as well as our resident designers on top of being sort of the flagship professional Lord theater in the region balancing again the professional with the educational is what goes into the mix of what we do so it's hard to know what will fall forward i'm really excited because one of the things we're also going to do is and i'm going to get to direct the students in a project that we are devising from scratch a devised piece i don't know if you're at all interested in this but throughout my career zelda fit chandler who is one of my great mentors she always had us do an exercise called the universe project basically it was the time that any new students would have shared their universe project in a sort of half hour creation of anything from the most literal sharing of family albums and photographs and favorite recipes to the most abstract thing of sort of a dance piece that expressed who you were or just playing music or and really anyone, it's an incredibly creative form to sort of share and look at where are you now? Who are you in relationship to your community, your culture, society? And these are the questions that so many students and professionals are asking of ourselves right now that I thought it would be great. I have used that exercise in nearly every show I do. I ask people to do it for the character that they are playing, both educationally and professionally. I use that exercise to create a universe project. And so I thought a great idea would be for us to create, to start with a base of the student's current universe and to use that as the the sort of jumping off place for the show. Now that is not part of our six show official offering that is part but it is going to be shared we're going to find a platform to present the students work on that with our entire community that way and that will be made you know i was hoping to do that you know in a socially distanced way in person there is an amazing amphitheater here the forest theater that we will get to spend some time in and i hope uh, if we can't actually do live performance there, that we'll be able to use that space as part of um, the creation. So, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm sort of talking all over, Jeffrey, so forgive me if I'm like, <laughs> way off base from what you want to be talking about. Uh, but these are 
keeping the artists in the community and our audience feeling creatively active and engaged is what I see as one of my responsibilities this year. What are the plans right now for when Playmakers eventually reopens to the public? Well, obviously, we have been following and developing all the safety precautions that need to happen. Right, like we're working with all the unions, with the League of Resident Theaters, to make sure that our standards, so that we are ready to be able to produce the way we should be. You know, again, because of who we are and where we're situated, my guess is there will be a live production in other venues before Playmakers is able to have live production. And while that is possibly heartbreaking, I have no doubt that we're going to figure out ways to be in the community producing live live theater in some way, and then we will come back. As soon as as we are able to, so I guess really the short answer to that, Jeffrey, is that we are planning. We are looking at all the safety measures, both within our theater, our rehearsal halls, and everything that producing safely is going to mean. But because of where we are situated, have to wait longer than when the state. Or other venues start producing. The final guest I would like to highlight for this year is Laurel Harris. She is not only a native of Raleigh, North Carolina, who was working on Broadway in the Alanis Morissette jukebox musical *Jagged Little Pill* before live performances everywhere got shut down, but she also happens to be a COVID-19 survivor. I spoke with her in October, shortly after her show received 15 Tony Award nominations, including Best Musical, where some of the things we talked about were how she's been doing. Her memories of finding out about Broadway shutting down, and what she thinks the theater world will look like when this pandemic is eventually over. Yeah. So to start things off, how have you been doing during this time of lockdown due to the coronavirus? I understand that you and your husband, actor Rob Marnell, who was just in the Tina Turner musical, have both managed to recover from COVID nineteen earlier this year. Yes. Thank you so much.、Um, we feel very grateful and lucky, of course. Um, to be on the other side of having gone through the COVID virus and are continuing to take it very seriously, of course, always wearing our masks. Hope everyone here is as well. We're still wiping down our groceries. I mean, we are taking it very seriously, of course, because it is a pandemic. So、mm-hmm. we also, you know, like so many millions of people who are without jobs, you know, the more that we can get a handle on this as a country, the Sooner that we'll be able to go back to work. So,、mm-hmm. anytime we see someone not wearing a mask, we get very angry because we're like, "You're part of the problem. <laughs> Why we can't go back to work?" But what have we been doing? Well, we've been taking it day by day, you know, as we all have been doing, and we've been lucky enough to be able to do a little bit of work here and there,、um, some concert work, and you know, just like random. Kind of like virtual gigs here and there, where we've been asked to sing some songs, or you know, speak to people, do Q and A's, or teach classes. I have been teaching a bunch of classes actually, which has been really fulfilling for me、um, to get to connect to youth, of course. And I've been doing a lot of acting through song classes, which I love to do. You can find me on empoweringtheartist.com. And yeah, just you know, really trying to prioritize family and being healthy and. Being responsible, lots of time that we didn't used to have, of course, 
that we've been trying to fill in really meaningful and proactive ways. March 12th of this year was the day that performances all over the New York Theater Districts got suspended until further notice. Now, what was going through your mind when you first saw that announcement? It was pretty wild. I was actually on the train down to go to physical therapy before work because, again, our show is so dance heavy that a lot of us get physical therapy to sustain our bodies so that we can do the intense choreography eight times a week. I was on my way to the clinic and then I this text popped up on my phone and it just said Broadway's shut down or it announced the shutdown. And, you know, there's so many people that, well, that live in my neighborhood, but obviously we, all of us artists, like, well, not all, but like the majority of us take the train. And so just within my car, I could hear other people's phones dinging and they saw the same message, like, oh my gosh, Broadway shut down. And we, I didn't even know these other people, but we kind of all looked at each other and we were like, oh, are you in a show too? Oh my gosh, you're in a show too. We're, this is wild. What do we do? You know, what's going on? But we all just, stayed on the train and got off at Times Square and I went to my physical therapy session and then I just got a call from my stage manager and one of the producers and they said they had a big call phone call with all of us and then we were able to go to the theater that night and kind of pick up whatever we needed to pick up to take home with us but at that point yeah it was only going to be a month so they were saying you know take what you'll need for the month and then we'll be back and some people like left their plants there and I said, you know, I don't, I hate to be Debbie Downer, but I really think this is going to last longer than a month. So I took one of my friend's plants and I'm so glad I did because it surely would have died by now. And yeah, since then, obviously they've let us come back a few more times to get more of our stuff, but that's been it. That's the only time that we've been back to the theater. So. Oh yeah. And that was good thinking on your part, especially since <laughs> when this pandemic began, you know, everyone thought it was only going to last a few weeks, but it was clearly not the case. Yeah, and I don't think anybody, I mean, of course, no one ever wants to think the worst. But, you know, again, if if we were looking at the rest of the world and what was going on, then it was clearly not going to be, you know, a quick recovery for our country either. And unfortunately, because of our leadership, it's been worse than many other countries. So I didn't know if I could be political, but I don't really care anymore. I'm like, "Mm, this isn't even a political issue. It's a morality issue and people are dying and there's, you know, we're close to 230,000 deaths in our country and it's just, this is not okay. So yeah, needs to be talked about. So as of now, the Broadway shutdown is currently set to expire at the end of May next year. What do you expect the theater world to look like after this pandemic? I hope that it's going to look very different. I hope that we're all taking this time to really reevaluate a lot of things in terms of diversity and inclusivity, in terms of equity, in terms of power dynamics between cast and creatives and producers, in terms of salaries, in terms of roles written for men versus women and transgender. There's an opportunity for so much healing and progress and positive change. And I I really hope that we come back from this so much better and so much more knowledgeable and willing to have tougher conversations and really be the industry that we claim to be, which is like, you know, a a community of, again, of, of lovers, like artists are notoriously, we love people, we love to give back, we love to share with an audience. It's, It's a communal experience. So that's my hope is that we can really apply those values on stage and like put it into commercial theater, which is the hardest thing to do because it is a business, you know, and people always say, well, it's, 
called show business. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be moral and it shouldn't be as inclusive and equitable as it should be. You know, that's no excuse for that for any business. So it can't go back to the way that it was, you know, kind of like society. Like we can't go back to the way it was because the way it was before wasn't working. So that's my hope in terms of, you know, just how the theater industry is run and what it looks like on and off stage. In terms of COVID, obviously the dream is to to come back when we can have theaters at full capacity, but I don't know if that's going to be possible for many more months. So I'm not sure. I know that the current estimate is May, uh, the end of May. I don't know if that means, you know, half capacity theaters or if that means you can only come if you've had a COVID test within the past five hours. You know, who knows? I do think it will look different for quite some time. Perhaps there will be more outdoor theater. I don't know, plexiglass, face shields. Who knows? I, I Like literally, who knows? <laughs> so we're just kind of, you know, taking things as it comes and again, day at a time. And ultimately, and most importantly, just want to make sure that we don't reopen Broadway until it is 100% safe to do so because not one human life is worth risking anything. So that just about does it for the second year of the Cure Reviews podcast. Before we go, let me take one last moment to thank the other guests I was able to have on the show this past year. Nathan Peck, Erica Pell, Dane Reese, Morgan James, Meg Tui, Scott Beck, Brian Woods, Sydney Layden Sean Stern, and John Francois. I will be back on January 4th, 2021 with the next installment of my News of the Month series. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.